So the Ball family just lit the candle of hope. This is the first Sunday in Advent, and hope is the theme. And we're going to think through what that might mean for all of us here in just a few minutes, because this is that season when we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. That might surprise you because this is the first Sunday of Advent, and we're so used to thinking of Advent as a celebration of Christ's first coming. We look back, but actually Advent is about the first coming of Christ. We look back, but also to the second coming as well, and so we're going to do that this morning. And it's so good to see everyone here. I hope that you've had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It is fantastic to be able to come back together to worship God and to inaugurate this Advent season together to praise Him and thank Him. And I'm so glad all of you who are live streaming the service that you were able to log in as well to just celebrate Charlie's baptism with all of us here in this room and to join with us as we consider the gospel of hope that we're going to be thinking about today. You know, century, uh, some years ago, uh, one of the great evangelists of all history, maybe the greatest evangelist ever, a man named John Wesley, passed away. He, he ministered for over 60 years, and at 88 years old, he was bedridden. He would soon pass from this life to life to come. There were people gathered in the room around him, Many of them he personally had led to Jesus Christ. And over his long ministry, he had led tens of thousands of people to Christ, and he founded the Methodist movement. But now he can't even speak. He's so weak. It seemed as if he was trying to speak, and so they hushed in the room and gathered close to him. And it was as if he summoned up his last strength, and he spoke out, the best of all is this, God is with us. There's a pause. And again, the best of all is God is with us. Those were his last words. After this long life of ministry and a long life of ups and downs, I mean, he had his problems. He was persecuted for one thing. But he also had friends that turned away from him. Sometimes it was his fault. John Wesley was one of these personalities that he was born to rule. And that meant that sometimes he could alienate people from himself. He had a failed marriage. This great man of God, his marriage failed. He knew the ups and downs of life. And yet through it all, God is with us. And that's the message of the Bible, isn't it? That God is with us. And it's summarized in a single word. It's a name, in fact, Emmanuel. That's the word that means God with us. The prophet said that a child would be born and that child would be called Emmanuel because in that child we would find the presence of God. And so Advent is the celebration of that child who becomes a prophet of God, and then is demonstrated to be the Son of God in the resurrection. It is a celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, 
During this whole season, what I want to do is to focus on some of the great Advent hymns of the church. If you look in the Bible, you'll see that God's people are always singing. Their faith comes out in song. There's a whole book devoted to songs. We call it Psalms. But you see it throughout the Old Testament. For example, when the people were led through the Red Sea and they were delivered miraculously by God, what did they do? They sang. And we see even all the way into the New Testament that there are fragments of early Christian hymns included in Paul's letters, for example. So the church was singing even in the New Testament and ever since the church has sung its faith. And in the Advent hymns that we commonly call Christmas carols, we find our faith set out in such rich metaphor and with deep insight into Scripture that I want us to spend some time with them. In fact, you could say my purpose during this Advent is to help all of us to sing Christmas carols better, to understand them more thoroughly, to take the truth home to our hearts that we might live it out. And this morning, we're going to look at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, of course, meaning God with us. It's a marvelous hymn of Israel's hope, Israel that sinned and experienced sorrow and knew so much of strife nevertheless had hope that God would fulfill his promise. God said that he would establish his kingdom. God would not forsake his people. He would establish his kingdom. He would send Messiah. And through all the dark times and the difficult times, Israel held on to that hope. And this Advent hymn puts us in the place of Israel as if we are singing as the people of Israel, of that future hope of Messiah coming, bringing God's redemption to us all. Now, we, as Paul says, are Gentiles who've been grafted into Israel. So we can sing with Israel. We can sing of the same hope. The difference is this. Whereas Israel sung of something God would do in the future, we can sing of what God has begun to do already in the first coming of Jesus Christ. Israel sings with this deep longing. You'll hear it as we, as we listen to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You'll hear that longing, that sense of, of emptiness and that yearning for fullness. You'll hear that. And we as the church, we can sing that way as well because we yearn for all that God has for us in the future. But as Israel could rejoice in hope, even as she longed for a better day, so we can rejoice even more strongly than Israel because we can look back and see that God has begun the redemption. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. 
until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O The plaintive longing in that melody, can't you? This longing for a better day, for God's promises to be fulfilled. You have to hear the words with an understanding of Israel's history, and you know that history, but reflect with me for just a moment. God calls Israel and gathers them around Sinai and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And God promises that he will be with them. And in fact, he is with them through the wilderness. There he is in the tabernacle, his glory overshadowing that tabernacle. Moses said, the one thing that distinguishes Israel from all the other peoples of the earth is that God is with us. And God was with them, even as they crossed the Jordan into the land of promise and down through the generations, God was stood by his people. And yet we know of Israel's history so much like ours. She was unfaithful to God, lapsing into sin and rebellion and most of all, rank idolatry until finally judgment falls. First, the northern kingdom is taken into exile by the Assyrians. Later, the southern kingdom is taken into exile by the Babylonians. And it looks as if that's the end for Israel. God has abandoned her, abandoned her because of her sin, and now she has to, she has to bear her punishment in exile. Well, it turned out that God had not abandoned Israel, but according to his promise, he brought her back to the land of promise. It was an incredible intervention of God's power and grace. Israel, scattered in exile, is brought back to her land. That's never happened before in history, not before and certainly not since. It's an extraordinary thing. But having returned from Israel, the people looked around and they said, this doesn't seem like a new beginning, not really. This isn't a restoration. Life was hard in the land. They started to rebuild the temple, and those who remembered the glory of the first temple, when they saw the foundation poured, they began to weep. It was nothing like the first temple. Others rejoiced because the temple was being rebuilt, and so you had weeping and rejoicing side by side as the temple was built. Not only that, Israel was under the domination of foreign powers and would be for a long, long time. So some of the more spiritually perceptive people in Israel began to say that the exile has not yet ended. Yes, we've been brought back to the land, but there's a, a spiritual captivity in which we still live. We have not yet entered into all that God has promised us. And so when we sing of this lonely exile, Israel speaks of the seeming abandonment by God, living with the consequences of her sin, a sense that 
nothing can ever be right again. And yet, then there's the refrain, rejoice, rejoice, Israel, because Emmanuel will come to you. God has not abandoned you, but he will keep his promise. Emmanuel will come. Israel held on to that promise. Even as it seemed as if they were alone in the world, they held on to the promise that God was going to restore his people and that he would be with them once again. And so they hoped, they hoped. In their sorrow, they rejoiced in hope. There was a man, a carpenter in Nazareth, who is betrothed to a young woman named Mary. He received word that Mary was with child, and he was shocked. It cut him to the heart. He thought, I have no choice. I need to put her away. I'll do it quietly so that I don't shame her. But then an angel came to Joseph and said, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here, God is answering his promise or fulfilling his promise. Jesus is born, and he is God in human flesh, not abandoning humanity to sin, but rescuing humanity. His name Jesus means the Lord saves. So God is with us in Jesus, with us to do what? To save us from our sin, not leave us in spiritual exile, not leave us to suffer the consequences of all our wrongs, but to redeem us. And so we as Christians have that hope. That's why we can rejoice because Messiah has come. The Messiah for whom Israel was longing, that Messiah has come. And yet, and yet, we also have that sense of lack in us. Yes, we're forgiven and yet sin still clings to us. We still struggle with it. Sometimes we still feel so far from God as if we're left in exile. And that's because the reign of Christ has begun, but it's not yet been consummated. That awaits the future. And so we too rejoice in hope. Our rejoicing is greater than Israel's because we've experienced through Christ, what Israel had not experienced up until that time. So there is real rejoicing, but there's also longing, longing for that day when our sin is swallowed up in the forgiving, transforming grace of God. Then, not only our sin troubles us, but sorrow. We live in a world of sorrow. Think of the illnesses, the wounds, the disappointments, the failures, 
the things that break you down and leave you feeling like you're in a dark place and left terribly alone. God with us, Emmanuel, speaks a word in that darkness. Oh, come the day spring, come and cheer our spirits by the So Israel longs for the gloomy, dark clouds of night to be dispersed and to be rescued from death's shadow. When we do sorrow, when we do suffer, we're reminded of our vulnerability and our mortality. And that reminds us that we all are heading toward death. So when we speak of death's dark shadow, well, That's signaled every time we pass through the valley of tears. And so here we have Israel crying out for God to bring that day, that new dawning. Talks of day spring. That's a term that simply refers to sunrise. Israel's looking for the dawning of a new day, the kingdom of God when Messiah reigns. And the sorrows will be a thing of the past. The darkness will be swallowed up by light. And they will live forever in the presence of God. Rejoice, says the refrain. Though there's this sorrowful longing and yearning, there's also this rejoicing in hope. We know that God won't fail us. And so a priest named Zacharias receives a vision when he's in the temple telling him that a son would be born to him and to his wife, Elizabeth. That son was John the Baptist, and he was destined to go before the Son of God, the Messiah, to prepare the way for him. And Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks of what his son John will do, but also speaks of what Messiah will do. And it says, the rising sun, or the day spring, as it reads in some versions, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. These are are Jewish words. These are the words of Israel's hope. These are the words expressed 
in O come, it come, O come, Emmanuel, that there would be a dawning of a new day. What was a surprise, what wasn't expected, what Zechariah makes clear is that the dawning happens with the birth of Jesus. A new day has dawned. Therefore, there is great rejoicing at the birth of this child. There is celebration at the birth of this child. And so we know that in our lives, even now, whatever we may pass through, Emmanuel, God is with us and there is light. We need to live in the light, rejoice in the light, find peace in the light, and look forward to the day when Jesus returns and all creation is filled with the glory of God. It isn't yet the case. We still yearn for that day, but we've tasted of something, something of heaven even now. And so sin, it's dealt with in Jesus Christ and will be. Sorrow, we find comfort now, but we find all our sorrows being put aside in the age to come. And then there's strife. Think of the strife in our world today. Think of the violence. Think of the hatred, the bitterness. Think of how so many peoples are set at odds with one another. The Messiah comes not just for you and me individually, but for all of us as a people. God intends through his son to bring peace to all. That was the hope of Israel. Oh, come desire of nations by all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease, and fill the yearning that all the world would be filled with heaven's peace. Israel knew a lot about warfare and violence. In fact, Israel was born in violence. There in Egypt, Pharaoh oppressed the people cruelly. God delivered Israel out of Egypt. And over the years, Israel suffered violence in other case instances, and also perpetrated violence. It was a violent world then. It's a violent world today. There was strife then. There is strife now. But Israel looked forward to a time when God would keep his promise through Isaiah to bring peace in all the world. Let me read to you the words of Isaiah, perhaps the greatest prophet in Israel's history. Isaiah said, looking forward to that day when God establishes his kingdom, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That was the promise of God. And Israel, in the midst of this violent, contentious world, hoped for that day when God would intervene and bring peace to all, justice and peace. We look at our world today and we see... We see so much injustice, and we see so much strife, and as I say, so much violence. We sometimes speak of peace, but we see precious little of it. We do see peace as God intends it in the church. We do see that. Not perfectly, but truly we see God's peace. Remember when Jesus was born, the angels appeared and said, glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so there is peace. You see in the church, people who used to hate each other, loving one another, who you never thought could forgive each other, begin to forgive each other. You see black, white, and brown reconcile in the church. Perfectly, no, but truly It has happened and is happening and has always happened within the church. We see a foretaste of the peace that God intends for all the world. But when we look at the world, we don't see it, do we? What what this world counts as peace is essentially the suppression of violence by the threat of violence. That's what we call peace. That's why we have armies. That's why we have police forces. Because as long as sin rules in the hearts of human beings, there is strife and hatred and revenge and anger and violence. And the one thing that keeps a lid on it is the threat that those who perpetrate crimes and do violence will have violence visited upon them. They will be forcibly arrested at the very least. That's what keeps it in check. That's not peace. That's not peace. It's the best we have in a world like this, but that's not what God intends, and that's not what God is going to bring. What God is going to bring through Jesus Christ is a reconciliation to where there is true justice, true love, true peace among all the peoples as they live in the presence of God. It'll come when Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, appears the second time and establishes his lordship over all creation. Then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then redemption will be complete. Until then, as with our sin and sense of separation from God, or our sorrows, so it will be that we are are grateful for what has begun, and we rejoice in the kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated, but we as God's people will continue to long with ancient Israel. We will continue to long for the fulfillment of God's promise. And so that's part of the paradox of living for God in this world. 
to sorrow and long for something better and to rejoice in the good that God has already brought and the good that God is going to bring. It's not so different from those during this season who are, who are dealing with the loss of a loved one. And they so mourn the loss of that loved one and they remember them. I talked with one of our members just last week. It's just before Thanksgiving and he said, this is my first Thanksgiving without my wife. And what he wants more than anything in the world is to be with her. He's longing to be with her. And yet there's a kind of poignant joy that he has as well because of this real faith that he has and these these marvelous memories of their life together and his confidence in God. You could see where a joy in the season is in his life, even where there's sorrow. That's not exactly the same way for all of us, but you see what I'm trying to say, that there can be a sadness that goes with joy. And we hear it in this marvelous hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that longing. It's a beautiful hymn. Would you stand with me? I want to lead us in prayer, and we're going to close the service by all of us together singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have come to us in Jesus Christ. You haven't left us to our sins. You haven't left us to suffer in sorrow, Lord, and you will not leave this world in the hands of violence and anger and division. But you are the redeeming God, and we know it because you have already sent the Redeemer to us. Jesus has come. And Jesus is coming. We so yearn, Lord God, for your kingdom to overtake every other, for you to be glorified forever. We yearn for that. And until then, Lord, in faith, we rejoice in what's coming and rejoice in what you've already done. We bless your holy name. In Christ's name we pray. 